welcome to the Mindful Living Podcast. I'm your host, Athea Davis. Are you ready to become the person everyone loves, including yourself? Imagine being filled with purpose, joy, and focused energy every single day. I guide kids to gain their inner calm and adults to spark their inner child. Each week, I will give you fun, practical, and relatable, mindfully infused inspiration, insights, and information that you can directly apply in your life, family, and school or business. So let's get started. Hey friend, welcome back to the Mindful Living Podcast with Athea Davis. I'm your extra sparkly guide. Well, wherever you are listening to podcasts on your walk, exercise routine, or you're just around the house doing chores, I do hope you're having an amazing, most awesome sauce day in every kind of way. I'm really excited about this interview that you get to listen to today. I had a warm and such a fun chat with Kim Bearden. She is the co-founder, executive director, and language arts teacher at the highly acclaimed Ron Clark Academy, an innovative middle school and educator training facility in Atlanta, Georgia. More than 50,000 educators from around the world have visited Kim's classroom and have attended her workshops to learn better ways to engage students, promote academic rigor, and create a climate and culture that promotes success. In 2016, Kim was honored at the White House for being inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame. She is the recipient of the Disney American Teacher Award for Humanities and the Milken Family Foundation Award for Excellence in Education. She was chosen to receive the Influence Her Award, the University of Georgia Outstanding Educator Award, and the Turknet Character Award for Servant Leadership. Women Works Media Group named her one of Georgia's most powerful and influential women. Over the past 31 years, she has been a teacher, instructional lead teacher, curriculum director, school board member, staff development trainer, and middle school principal. Wowza! Kim has so much wisdom to offer us, and it was such a delight to chat with her, and we chatted about her new book, Talk to Me, where she lays out six principles of effective communication. It's great for educators, parents, and leaders, and really anyone wanting to get a hold of improving their communication. Because as we improve our communication, we improve our relationships. And when we do that, friends, we improve our life. I'll take a triple twist of that with extra awesome sauce flair every day. Friends, I know you're going to love this interview with Kim Bearden. It's packed with fun, warm-hearted conversation and so much wisdom. But before we dive in, I just want to remind you about one quick thing. My free Mindful Living Masterclass, Nine to Shine, is coming up. It starts on May 6th. It's for nine days. It's completely free, all online. And you can register at soulsandshoga.com forward slash nine to shine. Couple things. Registration closes on Friday, May 3rd, 
which as you listen to this is pretty soon at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. I only offer this free class twice a year, so I won't offer it again until January 2020. So get in while you can by going to www.solsenseyoga, all one word, solsenseyoga.com forward slash nine to shine. And you can read all about it, read what other students have said. I will say, I love hearing from students that let me know that they are continuing to apply the de-stress for success tools that they learn in Nine to Shine. And one of those is about using powerful and kind communication. There are things that they apply in their family life, work life, and their own individual life. I hope to see you in class on Monday. Well, I know you're ready for this interview. So without further ado, enjoy my interview with Kim Bearden, co-founder and executive director of the Ron Clark Academy. Welcome, Kim Bearden of the Ron Clark Academy to the Mindful Living Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be chatting with you today. You know, one of the things we do here at Mindful Living is to inspire and and empower others to be filled with purpose, joy, and focused energy every single day. And I often remind our listeners to take intentional action and choose to be the person today they want to become tomorrow. And when I read your book that was just came out, Talk to Me, Find the Right Words to Inspire, Encourage, and Get Things Done, I just had to stop and highlight this piece. So I wanted to start our time together today by reading this little snippet. Is that all right with you? Sounds great. All right. So this is from the intro of the book, Talk to Me. By sharing the successes, mistakes, and lessons learned along my journey, I hope to equip you with principles that will serve as tools to help you build a better foundation for effective communication. It is my fervent prayer that you will learn how to weave your words in a way that will uplift, inspire, support, inform, transform, and spread kindness to a broken world in desperate need of more love and understanding. I just get the little chili willies all over my body reading (laughs) that right now. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, Kim, you are truly, I just, I love your heart. You are such an amazing woman, so inspiring and just really a gift to so many of those in this great, big, beautiful earth that we live in. Thank you for writing this book. Well, thank you. What what a great way to start my day, having you say such kind things about me. So appreciate Aww. you uplifting <laughs> uplifting me this morning. That that's really kind of you. You know, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I get to interact with so many people every day, whether it be students or parents or um, educators who come to our school for training. So many different people, and I just see so many people who are doing the best they can. But you know, a lot of us are broken and overwhelmed and overworked or feel underappreciated, and so I feel like. If we could all do our part to try to uplift others and see beyond ourselves, but to take care of each other, then our lives would be more enriched and better as well. 
Yes, I love that. And thank you for sharing. It really just leads right into one of the stories. And I have, so admittedly, Kim, I, I may have cried several times reading this book. But again, <laughs> I cry at a lot of different things. I have an older one. He's 13. And I will cry at happy movies and sad movies. And I just, I love human connection and love and relationships. And I just really genuinely enjoyed the stories. And one of them that really resonated with me is when you shared the story in your book about publicly speaking about your own adversity and pain and struggle for the first time. You had been speaking and this particular principal was talking about you know, a lot of the struggles that the educators were going through, that many educators across the United States and likely across the world struggle with every day. And so you had opened up about your struggles and pain and adversity and really made an impact. And so many uh, that day, you know, in the, um, of the educators in the audience that day. And I just, one of my first questions is, can you tell us how the struggle has impacted your life in a positive way? What did you learn from it? And how did it or does it fuel you in the work you do? And perhaps give just a little thumbnail of what your adversity and struggle was that makes you who you are today. Right. Well, you know, we all have a story, right? And, and some of us are in the bright pages and some of us are in the dark chapters. And so I do speak uh, to educators. I speak to different crowds around the country at different times. And, and yeah, I was always just very big on teaching strategies for being a better teacher. And then I realized that I was missing the whole heart piece. And so I thought I need to share about my dark times, my dark hours, my dark chapters. But one of the dark periods of my life. I was um, married before. I'm, I've been teaching for 32 years. I'm a 53-year-old woman, so I have a lot of life experiences. But many years ago, I was married to a handsome, charming man, but he traveled all around the country, and he kind of led a whole double life, like movie of the week, double life. And so when I found out about all of this, it, you know, it was, of course, devastating. It was humiliating. Um, you know, I was, you would lie on the floor, just broken, um, crying my eyes out embarrassed, upset, scared, angry. And then I turned it in on myself. Like, how could you be so stupid? How did you not know? How did you not realize these things were happening? And one of the things that was um, maybe interesting to some people, but other people will completely get is that it was so dark. I didn't tell another living soul, no one. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think sometimes there are many of us who go through the motions like that. And we project this um, image this illusion of perfectionism and you know what I've really learned in my older age that perfection is boring people like real people <laughs> and so it doesn't mean you have to go tell all your business to everybody but um, I needed to tell somebody it's not healthy to keep all that inside I, it was just so dark for me I didn't have words I, I didn't even know how to start the story I thought other people would judge me or I thought other people would all tell me what they thought I needed to do until I figured out what I needed to do but um through that adversity, you know, I think when you've been in your depths of your darkness, you become the most enlightened in a sense. And, you know, I learned a lot of things. I felt so powerless, but I really learned that um, when you feel powerless, you know, sometimes you're defining power the wrong way. You know, if you define power as your ability to control things, you know, that's a power that you, if you live that way, then your day-to-day -day circumstances will always dictate your inner joy. And so I learned that maybe a greater kind of power was when I empower others. And that's sort of how I got my significance back. I realized, you know, I could walk in that classroom and carry that, or I could do everything that I, I, I could when I walk in that classroom to focus on lifting up those kids. And by doing so, I found that it actually pulled me up. 
And so those kids sort of became my sanctuary. And I know not everybody who listens to this may deal with children every day, but just that idea of, of trying to go out and do something for somebody else, see the world through other people's lenses, try to, you know, if you're feeling horrible on the inside, if you go do something good for somebody else, it actually makes you feel better. And and so, you know, there were days I still failed. I mean, I don't make it sound like everything was fine. Then it took me months, even years to clean up all of that mess. But I learned that, um, you know, if I had a bad day, I could forgive myself, but I could say, you know what, tomorrow you're going to go in there, Kim, and do the very best you can. I'm focusing on just lifting up others. And that was really how I got through that dark time. You know, and it was interesting that I had um, a lot of people who, you know, said different things to me and shared their stories. And, and you know, I learned a lot about forgiveness. You know, those people who can get stuck versus those people who move forward even if it's just something horrific, I learned that the people who could move forward, it's because they have this sense of understanding about forgiving others. You know, it's to forgive somebody, they don't have to deserve it and they didn't have to earn it. But um, if you're able to do it, it's really a gift you give yourself. And so all those different things and challenges, you know, when I, when I speak to groups now, I really go more in depth about that and about, you know, when you're in that depths of darkness, it's so hard to see beyond tomorrow. But now I can even make jokes about it, which seems crazy. If you'd ever told me I would tell others about it or even make jokes about it, but that's because I've had time to heal, but also that forgiveness component and that understanding. Um, someone came up to me after a speech one day and they said, you know, and it's a line from a song, but it says, a heart without hurt is hollow. And I love that because, you know, you asked me how this affected me. It affected me. I think I'm a better human being because of what I went through. I think that in my day-to-day -day life, when someone is having a hard time or someone's snippy with me or somebody's angry or somebody's, you know, I'm able to look beyond how it makes me feel and say, I wonder how this person is feeling. This person might be broken right now. This person might be hurting. And so it, it gives me a different lens of um, empathy and compassion for other people that I don't know if I would have had. Um, in such a profound way had I not gone through that adversity. That is so powerful what you shared. And I love the quote the that someone mentioned, a heart without hurt is hollow. And I will be using that um, for, yeah, to share with others. It's just really powerful. And I really, I really resonate, you know, with your story. I just feel like we're sisters that have never met my friends. And, and I honestly feel like that with so many of our human brothers and sisters out there in the world, many of our listeners are educators or leaders and parents. And I know that, uh, they're they're struggling and they're afraid to share their struggles because we want to, you know, have this um, this idea that you know with others that we've got it all together, everything's okay. A lot of us are really scared to ask for help to really truly seek that connection and understanding. And I know that when those such as yourself, you come out and you are vulnerable and you stand in love and understanding and for empowering others, you give others that gift for them to see that they too are not alone, that your adversity may be different from theirs, but they see that, oh, that even though you've had these successes in your life, but you still have these struggles going on and you've overcome them that have made you stronger and able to do what you do so well. And I just think that's really great. I, in fact, it leads right into 
one of the first concepts you talk about in the book, laying the foundation for effective communication. And too often we talk about here on the Mindful Living podcast, we talk about mindfulness a lot and mindset is you look at consideration. And when I read that chapter on consideration, I really thought about perspective taking. And you said, you know, I realize that others have burdens and pains that we may know nothing about. And these could be framing their comments and reactions and inhibiting their ability to communicate with others appropriately. And and I often say, you know, I, I think looking at from an emotional standpoint, anger is one of the most deadliest weapons that we have on the planet. And it really feeds into how we form relationships and how we understand each other. And I think that consideration piece is powerful. And I believe, and and maybe you can share a little bit about this, is your story and the experiences of being open about your adversity, about your struggle. Has that inspired and empowered you to continue to take on consideration and perspective taking to be more connecting with those that you serve in your life, students, parents, your staff, friends, family, et cetera? Absolutely. You know, the, the book, I talk about six principles for effective communication. And honestly, the first two, I think, are the most important ones. And they're both about your mindset. It's it's never the words you say that are as important as the sincerity with which you say them, you know. And so, you know, you might go and be polite to somebody. But if your mindset is one of consideration and what that means is that you must always understand with every interaction we have in life, there's almost always more to the story. And we'll never know everything that's written. And so when you have a consideration mindset, it does not mean you allow people to bully you. It doesn't mean you allow people to mistreat you or to be ugly to you by no means. You know, I, you, but it, what it does do is it, it tempers your approach. It affects your body language. It affects your facial expressions. It affects the way that you choose your words, the timing with them. And, and even if you need to speak a hard truth to somebody, you're able to deliver it at the right time with the right level of compassion so that the person is able to receive it. And honestly, when you have a consideration mindset, when somebody does snap at you or somebody says something that may be a little off-putting, it does not hurt as much. Because now, if sometimes if I have done something, I have to realize, you know, that I'm accountable and I need to, you know, reflect upon myself to see that I haven't done something to hurt someone or to, you know, do something I'm wrong. When the consideration mindset is in place, if somebody does snap at you, I realize sometimes it has nothing to do with me. You know, it's part of a bigger picture. That person is hurting in some way that I can't even begin to understand. That person is dealing with something I'll never be able to understand. And even if they're not going through a difficult time, just the lenses, you know, here I am. I'm a 53-year-old white woman from suburbia. You know, I will never know what it is to be male. I'll never know what it is to be a person of color. I'll never know what it is to be of a different faith. I'll never know what it is to be in many different scenarios. Even though I try to have a compassionate mindset, I can never fully understand. And so we have to understand that with every interaction as well. When somebody comes at something from a completely different angle, you know, we're, we're all a composite of our life experiences and the lenses through which we've been taught to see the world. And we have to understand that somebody else seeing it through different lenses, it doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them different. And so when we're able to come to the table in that way, I think that we're able to resolve things better, but also to communicate a lot more openly and effectively. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And thank you for sharing that, which uh, leads me into, you know, looking at understanding, you know, I often wonder myself, 
and wanted to ask you this, what is, what do you think is, or gets in the way of many people's educators, parents understanding, what is it that's getting in the way of them effectively communicating with others? You know, I think that actually leads perfectly into what the second principle of the book is. Um, the second principle is motivation. And when we interact with people, whether we realize it or not, we have motives behind. And, and the word motive sometimes sounds seedy, but it doesn't have to be. But there are negative motivators and positive motivators. You know, when you get together with your girlfriends, I mean, your motivation might just be to bond, to share experiences, to love, to laugh. But in our more professional uh, relationships, when we sit down at the table, you know, positive motivators are things like, insight, truth, wisdom, productivity, solutions. If you come to the table with that in mind, you're going to have a far more effective conversation than if we're motivated by those negative motivators. And some of those are things like uh, defensiveness, anger, ego, uh, self-esteem, uh, uh, you know, uh, insecurity you know when you're when you go to the table and you are motivated by being defensive if you're sitting like if an educator and a parent are sitting down and the parent has questions well it's, it's very natural it's human for an educator to feel defensive like you know because they are working so hard and sometimes they do feel underappreciated and they do feel overworked and you know and of course you know 99.9 percent .9 of the time the educator has that child's best interest at heart but if you walk into that conference with that defensive mindset it's going to be conflict if instead you can walk in there and go, you know what, I'm going to walk into this conference seeking insight about how the parent feels. I'm going to walk in here seeking truth. I'm going to come in here with my whole mindset being that I want to find solutions. It's going to temper the way you choose your words. It's going to change your body language. You're going to be more inclined to listen and receive information. And so... I speak a lot about your motivation. And sometimes when we're motivated by, we get all up in our feelings is the easy way of saying it, you know? Um, and there's nothing that's, that's human. That's a human response, but it doesn't really help to come to the table when you're all up in your emotions. You got to calm down and say, what do I ultimately want? Ultimately, I want what's best for this child. Or ultimately, I want to find a solution to this problem. Or ultimately, I want us to understand each other. If we can be motivated by those things, then it just changes the whole dynamic of the interaction. Yeah, I think, you know, in any conversation, the more that, like you were saying with those motivators, is that when our motivation, and underneath that, I tend to think of it as an intent, a clear and, and open and truthful intent, the ability for two or more people to connect in conversation increases so much instead of just going into a conversation without any forethought about it to just really be, you know, really intentional about what you stand for, what you hope for the other person and what you hope for, uh, you know, to, to get to come out of that conversation as a team, whether it's two people or three people. And one of the things that uh, had me thinking about mindset, motivation, clear intent was, you know, a lot of this has to do with just experiences and being exposed to a variety of ideas. And I know that, you know, you guys over at the Ron Clark Academy, you guys are doing an exemplary job of exposing your students to a variety of ideas and experiences. And do you think that's key to increasing understanding and some of these motivators in the world? Absolutely. 
I think with all children, exposure is one of the greatest indicators of student success. You know, the more you can expose kids to see there's a world beyond themselves and to more you can expose them to understand the ideas of other people. And you may not be able to take kids places specifically, but, you know, when you can even expose them through literature, through, you know, classroom conversations, through edu educating them about all the different people who are out there the different ideas, the different mindsets, well, then they understand that, you know, life isn't all about tunnel vision, that there are lots of different perspectives and there's lots of different solutions about things. Um, one of the things that we're very big on here with our students is the idea of service, um, giving back to others. And so our students do a lot of community service. They, they give back, they work in the community. They also, um, we are fortunate that we're able to travel at our school and we do things in other countries as well. But even in our own neighborhoods, you know, everywhere in this country, there are, there are many opportunities where kids can give back where they can see people who are struggling in different ways. It, it lends to that sense of appreciation. Um, but also we expose our kids to other adults from lots of different walks of life. We quite often invite business leaders in our community into our school. We invite educators into our school, but we have them engage in conversations with our students. And we teach our students, how do you give a firm handshake? How do you look someone in the eye? But also how do you carry on a conversation? And so it's very, very normal for our kids to walk through the lobby and see all different types of people and to be expected to engage in a conversation with them. And that definitely is a, is a profound life-changing thing. And if there are any other educators out there, I think it's important too to know, you know, the majority of the students at the Ron Clark Academy are African-American. We do have students of all different races and all different ethnicities here, but I will tell you it's important if you're inviting community leaders into your school or business people and things like that to engage with your kids, you want to be intentional because that word intentional comes up again, right? We were talking about that a minute ago, but you want to be intentional about having leaders that come in who look like your children as well. You know, you want to make sure that you have people reflected from a variety of different walks of life, from lots of different um, backgrounds, so that they can see a piece of themselves um, in those adults. For you know, here I am, this you know middle-aged white woman, but it's important that I have strong black men come into this building, and strong black women, and women of all different races and all different religions and things, so that my students understand that there's a world of people who are like them, but also a world of people who are different than they are. And I think that's part of teaching kids how to interact in this world that we have. Yeah, no, thank you for, for sharing that piece as well. And I, I myself uh, work with a diverse student population and educators and 100% agree on the cultural awareness aspect and think it is key that others see a piece of themselves in story. I know you've often talked about uh, you know, that black and brown kids being able to see not just characters and books that look like them, but also authors that have authored books that look like them. And they have those strong role models and have those experiences to call forth so they can grow their own lens in the world and, and really, um, you know, step up and, and into, their, into their own gifts that they have to offer. Absolutely. One of the things uh, you reminded me of in the, in the story that you were sharing about, you know, teaching the students at the Ron Clark Academy about having a good firm handshake and looking people in the eyes. 
about the story you share in the book, the amazing shake story. And I loved that. I, I, uh, it's something I myself, uh, you know, I've taught many kids over the years with confidence and looking people in the eyes and really standing into their own power. And, and it really leads into, you know, just giving those, giving them the experiences of real life success, but also just those experiences, you know, an active engagement where maybe things just don't go so right, but you learn and you try again and you keep on trucking. Absolutely. So the amazing shake is something that was uh, conjured up, dreamed up by Ron Clark many years ago, we would do at our school level only. And that was where we would invite community leaders into our school and our students would go through sort of a, a gauntlet, <laughs> so to speak, where they would go from person to person to person and each person they would meet, they would have to interact with for one minute, then a little gong would ring and then they would move to the next station. But in that one minute, how did they present themselves? You know, were they um, firm handshake, looking someone eyes, speaking with confidence? We say that je ne sais quoi, but, <laughs> but also mm -hmm. are they natural? Are they, um, do they come across as genuine and real, not robotic? Because when you are teaching kids like a handshake and sometimes in things like that, they become very robotic. Hello, it is nice to meet you, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah. um, and so it was set up as something to be fun. Um, but then we realized that the kids were so excited about it. And so we started, it started to grow and, and there would be challenges. So you might go up to one person, they turn around, well, they've got a cast on, which may seem minor, but well, now I was going to shake their hand. It threw me off. You know, <laughs> how do you interact? Or somebody <laughs> drops pencils on the floor. Somebody doesn't speak your language. And there's all these different kinds of things. Or, uh, and now it's something that's become huge at our school. You know, you walk around the quarter and all of a sudden, you know, you, you, there's a whole a, a table full of board members and you're supposed to give a, a speech about a topic or you turn around and there's a wedding party sitting there and you have to give the toast or you all of a sudden go up to a podium and you're asked to give a speech. And so it's all this thinking on your feet, impromptu kinds of scenarios. And from that, what we do is it becomes a competition. The students are scored. We narrow it down to 25, then to 20, then to 15, to 10, and so on until we name our amazing shake winner. And it actually has grown to where companies now ask to be a part of it because they understand that these are the kinds of soft skills that they're trying to teach their employees. They want you know employees that they hire to have these types of um, skills themselves. And so. Uh, they'll go around the city and they go into different uh, workplaces and they're given challenges there. And so now so many schools, because we share our ideas with schools across the country, actually schools around the world, other schools are implementing the Amazing Shake as well. So each year we have a national Amazing Shake competition. We just had our second one. And um, so you can learn about that at theamazingshake.com if you're interested about how you could um, actually learn more about the actual program. There's some videos and things, but also enter students of yours in the competition. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. It's fun for kids, but it teaches them so much. Yeah, no, I love it. I know it, it was, you know, in the part of the book on application and, you know, setting students up for real life success with preparation and in any kind of effective communication plan and with the principles you speak of, it takes practice. It takes, you know, that preparation and it's going to take refining and just doing and being committed along the way. And I think one of those, and just to circle back for a quick minute on the clear intent motivation piece is you talk about doing extravagant acts of kindness and why it's important. And, and I think, and again, that's a practice and, and preparing students again, to be successful in effective communication. Can you give us a little bit about uh, 
you know, your own um, story behind why that is important to you, why that's an important piece in motivation and clear intent and effective communication principles. Why should we be doing these extravagant acts of kindness and why is it important? Well, I just want to make sure that I always keep my motives in check. And, you know, I realized there's a point to my life and I'm not it. Now, <laughs> now I know there's a lot of talk about self-care. This is not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself. And, and, you know, that's important. Absolutely. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in our own feelings, we stop, we forget to think about others. And remember how I said that, you know, it's a greater power when you empower others. And so many years ago, I just started saying, you know what, one of the greatest ways to make sure that I really always see other people is just to do things for other people. And it's even greater when you don't tell anyone. Now, yeah, you know, it's great to do something for somebody and to post it and, and inspire other people and things like that. But and, and I've done that. But there are things that some of the most um, fulfilling things I've ever done are things I've done for students or families and nobody else has any idea I ever did them. Now, I would list them for you, but then that would defeat the whole purpose, wouldn't it? But, <laughs> but, but give me you know, examples, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't have to cost money. I mean, at all. That's important because some of us don't have money. Sometimes it's time. You know, sometimes if you, you know, if you have a friend who's overwhelmed, like I'll tell like I had a friend completely overwhelmed with life, single mom, dad was dying, everything's going on, her house, complete and total disruption, you know, disaster, you know, and, you, and when your physical space feels out of order, your life feels out of order, right? But she was doing the best she could. She, couldn't, she had no time to do anything. And so I just went over there one day and cleaned her whole house. And I didn't, my house wasn't that clean. <laughs> either, you know, but because doing that, that just meant so much to her because then she walked in and it was like all of a sudden she could breathe, you know, and or, you know, just taking time to, to write a note to somebody that you haven't spoken to and let them know or or even doing something for a stranger, you know, that, that they don't even know that you've done for them. Sometimes those those kinds of acts of kindness are the things that mean the most to people. And so when you do that, there is a, you know, a feeling of fulfillment. I, I had a great friend that um he was going through a really, really painful divorce and he was at home on a Saturday night and he was just feeling just so just down and depressed and overwhelmed. And he's like, I'm gonna sit here in my own tears all day or I'm gonna do something. So he went out and got bread and but peanut butter and jelly and paper bags. And he sat there and made just dozens of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and he got in his car and he went around and fed homeless people. Now that may not be safe for a single female to go down into inner city Atlanta at night alone, right? You'd have to make sure you're safe. But he said that he felt immensely better after doing that. And he went and talked to people and he was like, I realized that my story, you know, there are people who are struggling just to even have a meal. I have so much to be fortunate for. So sometimes when you do those types of acts for other people, it takes you out of your depths of your darkness and you realize, you know, it gives you a sense of purpose. And, um, and it's fine to tell other people, but sometimes it's, it's even great if it's your own little secret that you do it and you know you've done it and, and you know you brought joy to somebody else. Yeah, you know, I I think it goes back to what you were saying when when you're in adversity, when you're in pain, when you're in struggle, you really redefine power and you become empowered just like your friend about serving the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or you're doing that random act of kindness and you find that connection and the struggle that you're having that if you're tuning into others struggles you know that they're facing something you might not know specifically, but we're all here human beings on this planet. And all of our brothers and sisters have some kind of struggle going on. Most of the time, we're probably just not paying attention to it. We like to pay attention to ourselves a lot and take some practice. 
to pay attention to what's going on with others, that you get outside of yourself for a little while. So you detach from that heaviness and that adversity. And then in the steps that you take, it sounds like in the kindness that, that you're spreading, that you're able to connect and in fact, communicate in a, in a, not just an effective way, but a really loving understanding and connecting way with others, which I think is one of the most beautiful things about uh, being, you know, in this profession and in this world together. You know, and it also leads to a spirit of appreciation. It really does, because, you know, even in the depths of our darkness, you, you when you stop to look at other people, there's so many people who are hurting. And, and quite honestly, there are other people who have always got it worse than we do. You know, no matter how bad it is, there's always somebody who's maybe dealing with something even darker. And so if you can um, help them, it actually brings meaning to your pain. You know, it, it helps to, to make purpose out of it. And so, yeah, it, it, that's, appreciation is actually another one of the principles. But, you know, if you've got good motives and you're doing things for other people, you will have a more appreciative spirit just in your day-to-day life. Yeah, it makes me think about the the story you tell in the book on validation when you guys created RCA Ladies Night and just really validating other people's humanity and which is so beautiful and so important and just really creating moments for others and offering I think you described it as a language of support when we're able to connect and validate others' humanity. Absolutely. Validation is the fourth principle. And it's that idea that I see you, you know, I see who you are. I recognize your worth, your value, what you mean. And, and so I think that's important. Even if you disagree with somebody, you know, you can still validate, you know, thank you for being a good mom. Thank you for, for being an advocate for your child. Thank you for going above and beyond. You know, those kinds of things are really important for people to hear. So yeah, ladies night is one of my favorite things we do at the Ron Clark Academy. Um, I have so many mamas who work so hard, some of them multiple jobs, you know, they're, they're taking care of their, their kids. They're doing so much. And many of them feel underappreciated, unnoticed, like people don't always recognize. And, you know, kids, sometimes they appreciate their mamas, but they don't always verbalize it, you know? Maybe when they yeah. get or when they get older, when they're not, you know, a middle school student, they, they're better at verbalizing that. And so years ago, I decided, what if I did a night just for them? What if I did a night where they were waited on, they were treated like they were at a five-star restaurant, that they were treated like they are absolutely the queens that they are. And so it became a tradition here. You know, we, we tell the mamas, and, and it's there's no pressure. Attire is anything, for I say, from pajamas to cocktail, whatever makes you feel fabulous. <laughs> yes. I want everybody to come. And it is true, it's so much fun, because some people will deck out in cocktail attire, and other people will come in sweatpants, because I said, we're not here to judge each other, we're just here to support each other and love each other, right? And the mamas come, and I always, you know, now it's grown, so I have a lot of, you know, donations with food. The first year, I just had spaghetti, so it wasn't anything, you know, elaborate, but I had community volunteers come in to serve the mamas because our mamas are always doing the serving right and so they were serving their plates and they were refilling their drinks and they were you know just waiting on them and just really making them feel special and we had music and and then we have words of inspiration and so um i invite now it's grown so much that it's any mamas or grandmamas or aunties anybody who is involved in the lives of our students they're invited to come and when they come there's some rules um one of the rules is that there's no conversation about your child now i know that sounds crazy but here's why i said we've all acknowledged you're all wonderful mamas but sometimes as mothers we lose our identity in our children 
we we completely only see ourselves through the mother lens, but yet we are full women and we have many aspects of our lives that are important and and we have hopes and dreams and things like that. And so we I have little things on the table, little Senate starters, you know, for them to have discussions about like, you know, I was the girl in high school who or something that I've always dreamed of doing is, or my dream job would be, you know, or a talent nobody knows I have is. And so they're really able to think about that. And and the night's really special for me. It was actually the very first one actually fell on the night after I lost my mother to Alzheimer's. And so now it's become a tradition to honor the memory of my mama too, because my mama was all about celebrating and uplifting women and, and really um, making sure that we're all there for each other and supporting each other. I just, when I came across that story in your book, okay, I have to admit, I cried at that story too, but it was just <laughs> so sweet and it just really filled my heart with so much love to know, you know, what you guys created for all those mama bears. And I just, I can only imagine how special it felt. So it was such a, an amazing thing to do and kudos for you guys for creating that and making it an annual event for all those mama bears out there working hard. Yeah. Now, and if anybody's listening, just saying, what about the dads? We do a lot to validate our dads too. So <laughs> Bernadine, our Dean of Students, that is his mission is to do, they do a lot of really cool things with our fathers here at the school and get them involved and plugged in. So, so do know that they get some love too. <laughs> okay. The daddy owes the mama bears. They all get yeah, the love. They over all there. get the love because it's hard to be a parent. And, yeah. you know, I think sometimes, you know, parents, when their children do something that, that, you know, they may do something where they misbehave or they don't do well on something. Parents, a lot of times, they, they think that that's a reflection of them, that they must be a terrible parent. You know what? All kids do stupid things. <laughs> I mean, great kids. I did stupid things when I was yeah. a kid. And that doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It just means that your child made a mistake. And so we really, we speak to those kinds of things a lot, that kind of language, so they understand that, that we see you. We see what you do day in and day out. This one moment, this one instance does not define all of who you are as a parent. Yeah, and I think that's important for parents to see, to feel validated that, you know, I am trying my best and it may not look like it because my kid may have made a mistake and to to be validated the way in which you guys are doing that, I know is I, feels very empowering. I know when I feel validated and I can imagine in their shoes at whatever event it is that they do feel validated. And it really leads into almost this piece of reconciliation you talk about in the application part in the book that, you know what, we all get stuck in ruts and we can make matters worse and we can get in negative cycles. And, and I just really appreciated your story and love the idea of having this family fuss-free time. So even though like at the RCA Ladies Night or, you know, whatever event that you guys have for the dads out there, that um, you are so cultivating that, that same aspect of validating reconciliation and just having a time to celebrate you and your humanity, despite, you know, all the hard stuff. Right. I told the story of one of my students and uh, forgive me, but you know, in books, she changed the names of kids to protect innocent. Yeah. I can't remember what I, I was about to call her, her real name. So I'll just say one of my students. Um, but yeah, her mom called me up and her mom was just done. And if you've been a mother to a middle school girl, you get it. And she <laughs> and the daughter, she were great mom, great daughter, but boy. It was like World War Three in that house and fussing and complaining and eye rolling and going in circles. And, you know, even great girls, sometimes mamas see the worst side of them, you know, and it's 
just it's just a typical rite of passage there. And and so, you know, I, I called the daughter, the mama called and said, help me, help me. And so I called the daughter in and we talked a lot and, you know, and the daughter was frustrated too, but she just said, I wish things were like they used to be. And I said, well, what, what, what did they used to be? And she said, you know, we'd play games, we'd sit together, we'd watch TV. Now I didn't make her realize, I said, well, you know, why do you think things aren't like they used to be? And she took accountability for the things she wasn't doing but what i recommended to the mom as i said no i said this is just a recommendation try it but what if you had just a set aside time period every saturday that was fuss free family time like even if the grades weren't what they supposed to be even if that child hadn't cleaned that room what if you just had time where you did nothing but nothing expensive don't go do something elaborate watch a movie together go to the park together you know sit and you know laugh together do something that was what you used to do and just so you can remember what it was like to connect and don't bring up those things that child's not doing. Now, believe me, I am big on accountability and kids need to learn consequences. And if a child's grounded, the child should be grounded. But if it's just about time with you could reconnecting and um, and see if you can get back so you can remember what that felt like. And it actually worked because after that, it was interesting. After they had the time together, as soon as they you know finished their designated time, the mama said, okay, well, I... I'd love for you to, you know, go clean your room. She said, okay. And she just went right there and cleaned her room. And mother been, you know, fussing at her for three months to clean the room. <laughs> and so, you know, so that, that really, it just, that particular instance, it really helped and it really worked. And I've suggested to a lot of parents since, you know, I'm a I have four kids. And so one of the things I have a daughter who she's now 29 years old. Um, she's my, my joy, my light, but we had some times when we would really go at it when she was younger. And, you know, I was a single mom and I was doing the best I could and, you know, and she was hurting. And sometimes, you know, she explained to me later that sometimes the things that she, um, she was hurting. And so she took out things on me because she knew I would be the one person, no matter what, who would never leave, that I would be, I would be there for her, that she could do it. And I would still love her anyway. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from her explaining that to me, but I also have three sons. I adopted three children from Soweto, South Africa, and my sons, I adopted them at age 12. They're now 17, but they all three have such unique personalities too. And so the one thing I've learned about parenting is there's not a, a fix all for every child. Every child is different. Just like every child in a classroom learns differently. Every child needs a little bit different parenting. I mean, you still got to have rules and, and consequences and things like that is vitally important. And you, but the way that you address kids, um, different kids are going to respond in different situations to you in different ways. Yes, I think that's very true. And, you know, understand and it goes back to the, you know, very first principle in the book about consideration and perspective taking and really understanding that we all have a unique lens to offer. And as parents, albeit it is important to keep our rules and regulations and routines and structure in order, but also to take that into consideration on how we learn and interact differently. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that. It, you know, and it, it brings me right into sometimes as parents, as educators, as leaders, we have to say some hard things and you wrote a chapter on confrontation and you talk about your experience about adopting your three boys and having this experience going into a home and just, you know, looking and um, it was on the market. You guys stopped by and there were a couple of black women that drove up and they went inside. You guys went inside and they seem to, the realtors were seeming to put parameters on the black women about loan requirements that they didn't ask you. And can you dive into that a little bit for our listeners that maybe haven't read the book and particularly looking at 
racial issues in the United States, black and white issues, and how that impacted you and the conversation you ended up taking on with your sons about that. Yes. So here I am, this, you know, middle-aged white woman from suburbia, and I, I have three African sons. And and for many years, I've taught students of color. You know, I've taken students of color around the world, but it's, um, and so there's many things that I have seen and witnessed. If there are listeners out there that think, oh, things are the same, you know, oh, you know, there, there's no white privilege. White privilege does not mean that that you don't have problems, you don't have issues, you, you don't struggle financially. I mean, you could have all those, but there are certain lenses um, that people see the world through that sometimes affects people of color that we as white people don't have to deal with. Um, and I gave an example, and, and it, it's really come to fruition for me even more with my sons because my sons are these very strong, beautiful young men. They look like men, and when I'm out and about with them, people don't assume they're with me um, or that they're my children. But yeah, we were just you know looking for a, a, a different house because now I have three teenage boys, and you know we were overflowing, bursting at the seams in our house, and we just went to an open house one day. It was a beautiful Sunday, and honestly, the house was a little out of my price range, but I wanted to look at it <laughs> and dream so, a little bit. Dream a little bit. I was like, I want to go in that house. And so, you know, we pulled up and my hair was in a ponytail. I'd been at the pool. I had on flip-flops and a beach cover. I mean, I was a hot mess and, you know, just comfortable, you know, it was the summertime and get out of the car and these, these two black women could pull up and they're just magnificent. And I think they'd probably been at church. They were dressed beautifully. They had a beautiful car. Um, just, and they spoke to us. They were lovely as we walked in, but we walked in, there were two little bouncy blonde realtors. And when I walked, um, they actually, the whole time we were there, they, well, the first of all, when the women walked in, they started questioning them. Oh, are you here for an open house? Well, of course they are. Why else would they be walking into this house? And, oh, well, have you been pre-approved for a loan? It was like the first thing out of their mouths that they asked those women. And, you know, I have been to a lot of open houses. I know that sometimes they'll ask you that if you're interested, but it was, it was done in a way, in a manner that was like, are you, why are you here? Are you valid to be here? And I, and they thought that my boys, because my boys were kind of standing around, we all entered at once. They thought my sons were with them. But um, all of a sudden, I peep out from behind them, and their entire facial expression, their tone, everything changed dynamically. And they're, oh, oh, hi, welcome. Are you here for, you know, how are you doing? Well, make yourself comfortable, walk around. They didn't ask me if I was pre approved for a loan. They did not ask me if um, any of those questions. They did not grill me. And I got so angry because I'm sitting there saying right here, this is an evidence of that we're not being treated the same in this situation. And so, you know, immediately, you know, I grabbed uh, Sabello's hand and my son and I pulled him into, you know, up this back staircase and, and he was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, and I was just like, come on, come on. I was trying to, I thought I was leaving, but I actually had ended up going up a stairwell because <laughs> I was about to turn around and leave. But to make a long story short, you know, we got in the car and you know, and my sons were like, why are you so upset? And I said, Let, let's replay what happened just now. And and then I was like, do I even tell them? Because I don't want them to be angry or to be frustrated or to be sad. But then I thought I needed them to understand how we were not treated the same in that situation. And I don't even know if my words can convey, I mean, the body language, the facial, it was so evident that we were being treated totally differently um, in that situation. And here I was, you know, in a, in a cover up with wet hair and I was still being treated like a course I should be there to buy the house and so that's an example of privilege and and it's unfair and so you know raising my sons I, I've realized that 
there's a different lens that people don't always see. And, and, I, and now I'm so aware of it when I see it happening. And so I do talk about how it wasn't long after I took my son to get some glasses and my son's, uh, he is uh, Zulu and his last name is Shashwayo. And it sounds that we don't even know how to make in our language. And so it's a very unique name, but names are very powerful and strong and important in his culture. And so when we go to get glasses, the woman called my son and, and, and she said, she goes, I can't pronounce this. This is, well, that's a weird name. And she basically yelled at the store. It was a weird name. And I got so upset and I walked out again because I want to make a scene. And I know that seems silly, but names are important. And so to kind of, it, she could have said, oh, that's a different name. Where are you from? Or, or tell me about your name. Or could you pronounce your name for me? That would be fine because that would be inquisitive. That would be showing interest. But it was that it was weird. And um, so I literally went and dropped my son off at home and went back. And, and I went in, and, 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 I, and, I, and when I say confrontational, I, I didn't raise a scene because I wanted to make sure I went back with the right motivation. My motivation was to have this under, woman understand. It wasn't to fuss this woman out. And so I walked in, and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I was here just a few minutes ago with my son. You know, I reached across, and I actually took her hand, and I said, I need you to understand something. And then I went through. I said, you know, what you did, whether you realized or not, is you were, you were insulting my son's name. My son's name is important. You know, I started to explain all this to her in a very calm way when I had the right motivation. It was like for her to have insight and so that she didn't do it again. And she teared up. She was, you know, I think she was embarrassed, but she also received what I had to say. She said, I'm so sorry. And she said, thank you for making me aware. And it really did change the dynamic. So in that case, I had to literally leave. I didn't want my my, you know, go back and then do it when I had the right motivation. I think sometimes that helps with confrontation. Now, sometimes you have to get up in somebody's face and stand up. I mean, I, I am not a pushover, but in that case, my goal was that she never do it again. And so I had to have her um, be able to receive what I was teaching her rather than it just become an argument. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, how you had to go back to the first couple of principles and really make sure that your mindset was in the right space, that you were in, in steeped in consideration and perspective taking, that your motivation was there, you had clear intent, and then, then you could take on the confrontation, not in a negative way, but you're confronting something. And when you are confronting something, it can be challenging and, and it can be hard. But like you're saying, if you're, you're trying to understand her perspective and you are also trying to understand that your motivation is clear, that you can share something with her. She may have never known that how she sounded could offend someone until you took a stand for that. And, and you did. And she appeared that she really appreciated that and will be more mindful of how she pronounces another name that she thinks is you know, and different, you know, different, and she may be more inquisitive about it or change her language in some way that is more connecting. Right. And so, you know, a, a side note for teachers is that you know, it's fine if, of course, you can't pronounce the name when you first see it, but the respectful thing is, could you pronounce your name for me? And, and I've, you know, her teacher said, things, oh, baby, I'll never get that right. I'll just, I'm, you know, but, and laugh about it, but it's important to get it right. It's so important to us at our school that um, we actually will ask kids, you know, you could say, say it into my phone. I'm going to record you saying your name. Say it for me three times. Um, if I say it the wrong way, would you just don't, you know, be, be respectful. But if you would just, re, you know, if I say your name one way, will you just say your name back to me the right way right after I've done it incorrectly to ensure that I say your name the right way? And I know that seems small, but it's important. One of my other sons, his name is Sisipo, but it's a P-H at the ending there. 
there. So it looks like Sissi Fo. Well, in his language, Sissi Po, his name, means gift. Sissi Fo means disease. <laughs> so yes. it's a subtle thing, but to him, he doesn't want to be called a disease. And so he it makes him really happy when somebody takes the time to learn how to say it correctly. And and so I think we just need to have that same respect. It doesn't even need to be children from other countries. Kids who are sitting in our classroom, you know, a lot of times there's a reason why their name is what it is. And so just having that respect, because that shows valid, you're validating somebody. You're saying, I see you when I take the time to know your name. Yeah, I was just going to say that goes right into one of the other uh, communication principles is that you are validating who they are and names are important. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I just love your heart and, and your stand and for taking on hard conversations and hard things. And often we, you know, are given hard things to discuss as parents, educators, leaders that we do have to. And I think those those principles are so important to, you know, do that internal check of, OK, where is this other person coming from? And is my motivation, is my intent clear before I take that confrontation on that hard thing that we have to talk about? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it really then leads right into, okay, am I focusing? Am I concentrating? This is another one of your application principles. And I know we're kind of winding down our time together and I have just a few more questions I want to get into, but this one I really really, since we are here on the Mindful Living podcast, and oftentimes I talk about focus and presence and sustained concentration, but when we're connecting with people, one of the things you mentioned in your stories is, you know, I used to, I thought I was multitasking and I was, I was talking to others and trying to type things on my phone and listen to them. And then you, you did this um, action, you took on this new practice in your life that you'd put the phone down, you'd speak to others with presence. How, how can we best practice that with our students and kids in all the everyday ways when we take on concentration and presence with others? It is so hard, right? Because we're all trying to do so much so fast. And yeah, the phone, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Like I use it to share things. I use it to share ideas. I use it to connect with people. I love those pieces of it. But it also is frustrating because it can become addictive. You know, you're, you're looking at that. Well, why am I so busy looking at somebody else's story when I, there's a story I'm living right now, right in, in front of me. I've got yes. surrounded by my family and my friends and things like that. It's really important. But what I've learned, you know, I, I do have a lot of jobs, you know, I, I'm, I'm a co-founder of the school. I'm a teacher. I'm a speaker. I do professional development training. I'm an author. I've got multiple jobs. And so quite honestly, I feel like I'm never done. And so it is overwhelming. Like I've got to keep up with the emails. I've got to keep up with the things that are going on, but what I've learned is that when one of my staff members walks in to talk to me or one of my family members or one of my students, I would keep typing sometimes and be talking to them while I was working. And I was like, that's just not validating that person at all. That's making them feel invisible or it's making them feel like their words are not as important. So I literally have to turn the computer around or I have to turn my phone over and put it down and, and engage in that conversation. And there are times like I've been in the middle of an email and I'll, I'll say this, give me one second, I'm finishing this sentence because I want to hear everything that you have to say and it's important. And I will say that and I'll say, oh sure. And then I stop and then I turn it after I finish that sentence and I say, now, you know, tell me what's on your mind. Because I think it's really important that we do that. And I got to tell you, I don't always get it right. It's hard, but it is something that I, since learning to do that, it has made a significant difference, I think, in just making people understand that they're important to me. They're more important to me than any work. And human beings are more important than any social media by any means.
means. And sometimes we just get caught up in that. You know, it's disheartening when you see kids sitting there, you know, like a group of kids sitting there and they're all together, but they're all on their phones. I'm like, why are you tweeting each other where you're sitting right beside <laughs> each other? <laughs> I know the world that we're growing up in, um, you know, right now, the, the love hate relationship with technology, I think that we all feel at all ages and all levels. And, and and validation thing about ourselves. I mean, when you look at that too, you, you tend to look and think that everybody else has a perfect, flawless life. And you know what? They don't. People are going to post, of course, they're going to post the highlights of it. It's like a highlight reel of our lives. But sometimes if you're in a dark place, it can make you feel worse if you're thinking, well, everybody else is living their best life. <laughs> but, you know? Yes, Kim. Thank you so much for being real about that too. Because, and, and for a young people out there, I know um, at least, you know, from looking at statistics uh, from the American Psychological Association, many of our middle age group um, are facing some heightened anxiety. And I do think that some of this can play a role in that and to keep it real that even though it's fun to share those highlights that every single person has struggle in their life, it just is different for everybody. Right. And, um, and again, like, and it's key to when we do have those privileges to engage in conversation with people to be present to what's going on that we ourselves and I love what you said that we are in fact creating a story in that conversation in that moment in that present that we can share with others at some point in time you know down the line uh, one of the things Kim as we wind down I have a, these questions are kind of a, a quick here uh, and I, and again, thank you for your time. And, and I know <clears throat> we just have a few more minutes before you have to get back to creating all the amazing things in your day is what is one thing that parents, teachers, and leaders can do to improve their communication skills? I know the whole book, Talk to Me, is all about, you've got six principles, but if you had your favorite one or one that you could say, you know what? This is one thing you can do right now today to improve your communi your communication skills. What would it be? Oh gosh, can I give you <laughs> two just yes. so consideration of motivation have always got to be there that we've already talked about. Um, one thing I would say for appreciation is that you know it's important to express appreciation, but I have learned one of the greatest things that I've learned is after my years of doing this for 32 years is I've learned to honestly appreciate it when somebody shares a difficult truth with me because I would much rather have them share it with me than with everybody else but me. And that's a hard one to learn, but when I learn that, oh, so when somebody does have something they're concerned about or they're unhappy about, if the first thing, thank you for sharing this with me. You know what, someone's even said, it's hard for me to hear this, but I can't solve it if you don't tell me. I'm so grateful you did. Um, when we do that, when we come to that table with that kind of appreciation for somebody opening up and being truthful, that's important. And then one other thing I just got to say is the power of hush. Um, in Under the principle of conversation, I talk about something called hesitation. So often we're so busy talking, we forget to listen. And sometimes the greatest things you'll ever learn are not when you're doing the speaking, but when you're allowing the other person to do it. And so I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, as an educator, one of the best things I learned when someone comes in for a conference, I thank them for setting it up. If they set it up, I thank them for their time and coming in. And then I say, why don't you first share with me everything that's on your mind? And I just listen. I let them talk and talk and talk as long as I want to, because in doing that, it gives me that insight, that wisdom, so that we can find the solutions. Instead of me trying to dictate, oh, here's here, this, 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 and this, I listen more than I speak. 
Both of those are really powerful. I love the power of hush. I'm going to adopt that one. The power, or at least the way that you say that. I love that phrase, the power of hush and sharing hard truths. Uh, Thank you. And uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book is living our life for the world instead of for ourselves. How can we live our life for the world instead of for ourselves? Oh, that's a difficult one, but I I think it's just that we've got to learn to see beyond ourselves. Understand that. If you seek to understand that when you're living for others, it actually makes your life better. I think that you you are living for in that way. You know what I'm saying? Your your personal life will be enriched when you learn that it's not about you. Your life will be better because, you know, it's what you I always say you have you must exude what you hope to create. You know, if you want to live in a world full of love and joy and laughter, if you exude that, it's going to come back to you. And so I think that's really how you enrich your own life is by enriching others. I love it. It reminds me of that Gandhi quote, be the change you wish to see. How do we empower others? It's different for every person. You know, I think it's you have to see them. And you have to understand that what their needs are. Now, I don't believe in hollow praise. That's important. Like here, uh, we're tough, we're strict, we have high expectations for kids. High expectations are your outward manifestation of your belief in somebody, right? But, but I think you empower them that you let them know you see them. You acknowledge their hard work. Even if they fail, you acknowledge, I realize this was a hard. Where do you think you went wrong? You know, why do you think it fell apart? It's not saying it was okay, but it's still saying I acknowledge it was a lot I put on you. And so you empower others by letting them know that you see them, that that you understand that they have a story and that they're doing the best they can as well. How do we create more laughter? Ah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you can't take ourselves so seriously. We cannot take ourselves so seriously. Um, You know, we have to learn that people, as I said before, perfection is, is boring. And the more we're real with people, more we're a little goofy, and more we let people see all of our sides. I mean, it, you'll just start to see the world for a more joyful way. I just, I think so often we're so worried about being embarrassed or people, you know, oh my gosh, people can't come over right now. My house doesn't look the way it's supposed to. And there are dirty dishes in my sink. I've learned now, I mean, I, I keep a nice house, but if, if there are dirty dishes in my sink and somebody's going to judge me because of that, I don't really need them in my life. <laughs> You know, it's, I'll second that. So I, yeah, it's just about being real and and honestly, just looking for the good in things. Looking, having a spirit appreciation where you look for the good in things, you look for the joy in things. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, just two more, to, you know, that I want to close out with. It is the Mindful Living podcast, and when you hear that phrase, Mindful Living, what does Mindful Living mean to you? Um, whenever you say Mindful Living, I think you're talking about intention, living with intention. Um, that the thoughts that you realize that our thoughts drive our actions, the thoughts drive how we interact in this world, how we interact with other people, how we interact within ourselves, how we care for others and how we care for ourselves. And so I think it's just living a life full of intention, living life on purpose Um, instead of just letting life happen, really making it happen. Mm, Beautiful and powerful way to end our time together. And the last question is really just where, tell people where they can find you online and on social media. Right. So I just told you about my love hate relationship with social media, but I actually do use it a lot, (laughs) (laughs) but I use it. I try to use it just when I feel like it, but no, I do share a lot of educational ideas and a lot of tips and things like that. Um, It's easy to find me. I'm at Kim Bearden everywhere. K-I-M-B-E-A-R-D-E-N on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. 
I tend to, you know, migrate a lot more toward Instagram these days, but I do tweet quite a bit as well. Um, and then the book that we've been discussing is called Talk to Me, Find the Right Words to Inspire, Encourage, and Get Things Done. And that's available on Amazon. Um, and also, I should mention the book is set up in the back where there is some stuff for book studies. A lot of groups will actually use it as a school-wide book study or actually even a lot of businesses, even some churches have been using it as a book study. Um, and so there's some simulations and situations to kind of do some role plays and things like that, too, if people are interested in that piece of it. And I also wrote another book called Crash Course, The Life Lessons My Students Taught Me. That's available on um, Amazon as well. That was my first book that came out about four years ago. Thank you so much, Kim. You are such an amazing woman, full of inspiration, and you are truly a blessing to so many in this world and i appreciate your time your presence and your wisdom i know my listeners and i really appreciate it and as i like to say here and to all that will be listening when this goes live and i kim i want to wish you and all the students at ron clark academy your family your friends all those in your life all the mama bears daddios out there to make their every day an awesome sauce day filled with all the glitter and sparkle along the way. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, friend. Welcome back. I hope you found all kinds of insights and wisdom in my interview and chat with Kim Bearden. Definitely go get her book, Talk to Me, Find the Right Words to Inspire, Encourage, and Get Things Done. Guys, I love the book, and as I said in the interview, I cried quite a few times because I just love good-hearted stories, and she has so many to share, as you discovered in our warm chat today. Well, if you found value in this episode, in this podcast of Mindful Living with Athea Davis, it means the world to me if you would screenshot the episode and share it anywhere you are on social media and tag me at Athea Davis and at Yoga. I would truly appreciate it. And you can use the hashtag Mindful Living Podcast, and that's with one L. All right. Until next time, have a wonderful, awesome time. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Living Podcast with me, your host, Athea Davis. Think of me as your extra sparkly, good vibes, and no-nonsense guide, reminding you to take intentional action and choose to be the person today you want to become tomorrow. The world needs your sparkle, your joy, your gifts in action. Speaking of, I have a free gift for all my podcast listeners. Go now and subscribe to my email list and get your free health and wellness guide, awesome sauce insights at soulsinceyoga.com. And take a moment to rate and review my podcast on iTunes or wherever you may find yourself listening to Mindful Living with Athea Davis. I truly appreciate your time and feedback so I can continue to deliver valuable content to each of you. Until next time, have an awesome sauce day, friends.